Hello and welcome back to the Innis Herald podcast. I'm your host, Catherine DeMay, and today's episode is but we'll be hearing uh, from two Black Innis students who will be sharing um, their experience at U of T. With me uh, is Eli Rose. And oh, go ahead. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> yeah, and today we're going to be going through some of the questions, but. Um, those who will be asking me the questions will be Lena, who is going to be our temporary host. Hi, it's very exciting to be here. Yeah. So, Lena, whenever you're ready. Okay, great. Um, all right, then let's get started into questions. So, the first question would be, what does it mean to be a Black Canadian to you? Um, and what's your experience with the community? Yeah, I can, uh, I can start for sure. So what does it mean to be a black Canadian to me? Um, For me, I guess you can break it down into each word. Um, One, uh, it means to be black. Um, That could be, you know, obviously a biological thing. Um, You know, my mom's black. Um, That could be, you know, a a social identity thing. Um, You know, maybe not so much now, but definitely when I was younger, uh, I used to present, you know, obviously as black or at least you know mixed race um so there's obviously that kind of part of it to it as well um and then yeah i consider myself canadian as well right i was i was born uh, and raised in canada um my dad was born in canada um you know i love canada i i i it's a place where i can see you know myself calling home for a very long time um so yeah those that's kind of how I see, you know, again, this term black Canadian, it is kind of split into two. Um, I think as well, there is a kind of a third maybe category where it's, which putting them together, black Canadian. Um, I see, again, this is more like social class um, from a social class perspective, you know, being a black Canadian, um, you know, it's, sometimes it's more subtle, but you realize that on the social hierarchy, um, black Canadians are one of the, if not, you know, on the lowest rung, um, so, you know, you get those implications uh, throughout your life in different ways, which I'm sure I will be touching on later in the podcast. But that's, you know, yeah, how I see being a black Canadian. Um, sorry, what was the second question? Oh, the second question was, what's your experience with the community? Yeah, the community, um, U of T community or just like black community in general? I'd say that would be very much open to your interpretation. But right now, I'd say within the black Canadian community because we do have another question targeting U of T community later on. Right, right, right. Yeah, I would say um, I'm a community member. Um, I grew up um, in Scarborough. Um, a large part of that was in Malvern. Um, grew up around a lot of other black people. Um, my school was filled with black people usually, um, especially as I said, growing up in Scarborough. Uh, so yeah, I'm a community member. Um, now in you know later stages, I want to say the later stages of my life. But as I got older, you know, I, I also try to be a contributor. Um, not the greatest at it, but definitely uh, as I started UFT, definitely um, starting to align myself more um, with uh, contributing to the Black community in Canada. Um, but yeah, it's been very I would say surface level in the sense of other than actually just living it. Um, there hasn't been that that much interaction, I would say, and, and that's kind of one of the things I'm trying to improve with doing things like this podcast and, and my work at the university. 
Yeah, um, if I were to answer this, Black Canadian, um, I think it's very, I have a very opposite uh, experience to UI, uh, simply because, uh, first of all, I came here as an immigrant, so I lived in uh, in the Caribbean for ma- most of my childhood life until I came to turn eight and moved to Quebec City, which is a very white and old city uh, in Canada. Um, and it was not until then that I actually like recognized the idea of being black was a thing, because in Jamaica, you know, there's like it's like one culture, <laughs> you know? So you don't really recognize that you are supposedly different from another person. You're just a person. Um, so when I became a Canadian, I think I just kind of, you know, uh, really liked the culture. I really became very invested in or grew up in very, like, Anglo-Saxon and French francophone um white culture that's where a lot of where i grew up um and among a lot of white people not a lot of blacks i was often the tokenized black person uh in my school and in my classes um and so my tie to the black community has always been this distance if you will you know a lot of the sayings that people say or even how they say it or uh the the many cultural aspects that kind of like are lost to me however like in if you were to compare it to like black american sort of culture i am not used to that in fact when i went to like a uh, north carolina and there was a church that my uncle was in charge of and we went there it's a complete black church, so I was a bit overwhelmed by the amount of black people that were there and how they carried themselves and what was different, and I just felt like I was a fish out of water, did not belong. So, so yeah, I feel like for me to be black Canadian are just like two different things, as you said. It's very like... Like, I know what it means to be a Canadian. It's just being myself as an immigrant to this country and just paying used to that uh, culture. But being black has always been sort of like on the lower end of my identities in, in terms of all the things I am supposed to be, like a woman or a disabled person. That's great. Sounds like you two had very drastic differences um, <laughs> just during your upbringing and just basically um, the places that you've lived and of course that's the kind of contrast you want to have in our podcast all right so if we're ready we can move on to the next question um, the next question is what black historical figure or events that you think should be taught more in let's say the Canadian context or even in global black history as well you want to take that one first? Oh, um, sure. Um, as a Haitian, <laughs> uh, my father is Haitian. Um, it's sort of, even though I've never been to the country as in time when I can remember it, actually, um, my father has done a very good job of 
given me a little thing to be patriotic about, especially when it comes to our history that has long been forgotten, <laughs> uh, which is the fact that we, as Haitians, we were the first country to basically lead a successful slave revolt, revolution, and independence from France or any other European country, and thus became like our own Okay, I wouldn't say republic or monarchy. I can't really just... It's very complicated. But we became our own country of our own bounds and became a, a place where a lot of freed um, slaves would rule the place instead of um, having to be the servants at the bottom. You know, there are a lot of photos and pictures of, like, paintings of uh, our leaders, uh, Toussaint Louverture, um, Henry Christophe, and Pétion, and all of these um, revolutionaries dressed like Europeans, which is so interesting. And the reason why I mention all of this is simply because it's really a part of Black history in a global sense. Like, there were many revolts that were not successful back in the day, and that um, so, like, a lot of black history has always been focused on the American history that we already know, and that's true, but, like, and that, you know, it's really important if you want to connect it in a more ge geopolitical sense, but if you were to talk about black history as a whole in a global sphere, like, I feel like Haiti's history and a legacy to the world should be showcased a bit more to kind of show that, like, hey, um, we did succeed at one point um, and could have been a lot more <laughs> if it wasn't for us, you know, a couple problems down the road. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I, I guess I just want to echo a lot of what you're saying. Um, just kind of dwelling on this question and just kind of in this podcast, I just, um, yeah, I just want to echo, you know, those, those historical moments. And, and as you were talking, it really made me think of like black history is global history, actually. Um, and Haiti is, you know, definitely a perfect example um, because it was the first, um, you know, colony basically to gain independence. Um, I think it was the first black colony or something like that. But um, it was very special case. Um, French actually got up all in arms <laughs> and wanted to take it back. So it was, it was actually a very significant historical moment um, very relevant because it didn't really happen that often or if, if at all. Um, if it wasn't the first, it was definitely one of the first. Um, and that really just makes me think of, you know, again, just treating black history as, as world history and celebrating, um, you know, the history of black people outside of, you know, um, America and outside of the, you know, slave trade. Um, that's kind of really my wish. And I think that's why you know, movies like, you know, um, Black Panther um, and The Woman King really resonate with people because it's, it's really talking about and celebrating the success um, and the successes of, of, of black people throughout the world. Um, so that would kind of be, you know, my general, I think, overall answer is to really, tr and I know this is why we have Black History Month to kind of, you know, highlight you know, some of these successes and some of these, uh, you know, moments worth celebrating. Um, but it still kind of marginalizes it into a month where, again, it just separates it from world history, right? Um, there's, um, 
And another thing that I think about, for example, is there's a lot of black history in Egypt, right? But if you ask anyone from Egypt right now, most likely, uh, especially or you know anywhere from North America, they won't consider themselves black. Um, and maybe biologically that's true, but it's just for me to, weird to think of you know anywhere in Africa not considered black when you know um, for many many um, you know millennial um, it's been it's been you know dominated by by black people um, so I find that very interesting and again that goes to my larger overall point about really integrating black history within to world history um, and the one thing I want to say something that I find very interesting which I think still relates to this topic is the historical events of the great migration um there's this documentary i, be I believe it's called eve or something like that maybe it's called the great migration i'm not 100 sure but they basically show um it's, it's mostly i would guess factually true but basically they narrate a story of how um you know there was the the first group of people in africa um and then obviously faced with you know um resource limitations and whatnot they had to start moving so they kind of tell the whole story of how first they tried to go south and then they went east and north and whatever it may be eventually you know some lighter skinned people end up in Canada and I'm, I'm guessing those are what we now call you know the indigenous uh, native people so really again just kind of tying this whole historical um, narrative and tie it back to black history because there is no world history without black history um and you know in this in this documentary they can carbon date or they do carbon date um this one woman who's who's two million years old or something like that um and they can basically genetically connect everyone in, that's living in this world to this one woman um so that kind of makes you think how and why do we continue to separate black history when it clearly from the beginning it's it's so integrated those are both great answers i just wanted to have like one slight follow-up question because i found it very interesting that catherine you brought up um the haiti revolution um i personally i went to high school here in canada i was never taught that um have any of you been taught that as part of your secondary or maybe even primary education um uh, well since i digested the, the topic i'll go first um yeah, I have been, I don't think anywhere in elementary we discussed it, but it was not until like high school, I suppose. Uh, we had like this world history class or something. So I guess that's when, when we started talking about slavery in February, obviously, they just, that's how they sprinkle it in. Um, they uh, talked about it in brief like very faintly uh they Thanks. talked about uh they talked about the different slave revolts the one in Louisiana, the one in like oh places whatever um they talked about the um the loyalists in nova scotia all that stuff and then there was like that one chapter like at the bookend where they like you know say oh it was also like this very successful slave revolt in um in haiti that happened in uh 1804 uh that was like it took like 13 years to do and um yeah it, it happened uh we didn't talk about it more than i would have liked but like it was something and then other than that then like when i came to uft 
in my first year uh, as a history minor, the first thing I did was simply take a bunch of 200 level classes all about the Caribbean history, one that was about um, ancient indigenous cultures, and that was fun because it was archeo archeological. Is that how you pronounce it? Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of digging, a lot of pottery, a lot of cool stuff. And then the second half of that uh, lecture, because there were two courses, the, the first one was in the fall, the second one was in the winter, and that one was about colonial like revolutions, and that one we definitely talked about Haiti in detail, and that was really refreshing. But other than that, no. <laughs> Right. I feel like with U of T courses, it's like once you go into higher education, you have to actively choose your course. But prior to that, it might be a little bit less exposed. Um, and what are your thoughts, Eli? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, quick side note. Um, two of my favorite first year classes were uh, with archaeologists, um, but it was for the uh, ancient Middle Eastern um, civilizations. But I wish I knew there was a, a one for um, for the Caribbean, because I probably would have took that instead. Um, but yeah, funny enough, um, I went to Sir Wilfrid Laurier in, in Scarborough in, in this neighborhood called Gilwood, um, and I think I was part of the third cohort of this, you know, this new class that they, it was a black history class actually, um, that they started. I, I don't think they had it anywhere else in um, other high schools uh, around um, Scarborough, uh, at least not to my knowledge, but uh, Laurie had one um, and I was, I think part of the third quarter, it was a grade 11 class. Now, I can't remember, we actually watched Roots. That was the one and only time I watched Roots. Um, but I don't remember if we talked about the, the Haiti Revolution, to be honest. Um, where I do remember the Haiti Revolution from is actually a political science class. Um, I don't remember what context exactly it was in, but they were talking about, and that's how I know about, you know, the French were all up in arms because uh, they were really mad that they allowed basically, you know, black people or slaves or you know subhumans to to kind of take back the island mm -hmm. um i think they took over the whole island actually not just um yeah not just the haiti side but the dominican republic side as well um so yeah just like kind of to your point if i wasn't in that class i would have pretty much no secondary education um background of black history um and even in uh, uft luckily um, we have some pretty uh, progressive and woke uh, professors here, so we were able to add that to you know the overall discussion. And as I said, I think because it is a, a world historical moment, um, it's kind of it would be kind of weird and suspect to kind of leave it out when you're talking about like you know politics and power and things of that nature. So um, yeah, um, yeah. If I were to just uh, sort of comment on what you just said. Uh, Eli, a little bit about how like if that concept of like you know the French were all up in arms and like and all that stuff um I had to do this for history research paper so I know this um <laughs> I, I like doing it for all my assignments but basically one thing I found out was that there was like a period in like the is that the 17th century? I don't know, man. This is... <laughs> 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 I should be a history professor. I don't know. I don't know. But 
It's so confusing. We learn things and we forget them. <laughs> yes. But anyway, during the, in like 1804-ish, around there, um, there was uh, a bunch of newspapers, like in the French newspapers that were just like, talking about they were talking about the the revolution but they made it it was a huge taboo topic Mm. to talk about it um another thing was that they thought that the revolution was just a simple emotional slave revolt that was just a bunch of emotional people who are just angry and don't have any uh, intellectual thought to carry out a revolution because they were slaves, you know? And then there was another thing I noticed, which was that um, how in America, they saw what Haiti was doing. They saw the French and they were like, of course they were supporting the French at this time, so like they were also not happy. But also the fact that they have a, a country that basically denounced the whole concept of slavery, which was their huge economic system they were like let's we're just going to exile every single haitian that lives on our plantation so that they don't give any ideas so that was like how they kind of try to suppress the history from making it not a historical event at all just because they wanted to remain in power i just wanted to add that just a little tidbit. Yeah, and, and that's kind of like the whole power of narrative and, and uh, you know, stereotypes and portrayals and whatnot. And you can see, especially in the work I do and, and a lot of EDI work around there, especially anti-black uh, racism work, you can see a lot of those same, um, again, stereotypes, portrayals kind of permeating through history um, that kind of is kind of the foundation of these these structures that we keep talking about, um, you know, racism structures, um, discrimination structures. A lot of that comes from just the narrative and the stories that we tell it and and specifically for the reason to suppress um, the power that you can, that one may gain from hearing these stories. Um, yeah, so yeah, mm-hmm. I definitely agree. I love that, yeah. I think for lo- most part of I think world history for now is still like very much Eurocentric mm-hmm. and just I think the fact that they don't talk about the successful revolutions of black history really like and limits everything on the slave trade it perpetuates the stereotype you know like it limits the potential that the black community has and obviously there's just so much more to global history than just you know white people and great let's just move on if that's all we have to say on this? Yeah, that's yeah. all. All right, so here is our last question, um, and it has to do with our U of T community. So would you say U of T has a strong black student community? And if not, how can it or how should it be improved? I think Eli can go first. Yeah, I can, I can start with this one. Um, I guess my blatant answer would just be no, it, it doesn't have a strong community, but that also may be a biased answer. Um, again, that's just from my perspective. I'm sure if you ask maybe, you know, Etienne, the, the president uh, of, of the BSA, he might have a different answer for you. Um, so I think it really depends on your positionality at the university. Um, for me, 
as uh, one of the first, one of the two first, you know, inaugural Black Student Orientation Coordinators this year, it I found there was a real, even though there was a real kind of need and kind of excitement and want for community, um, I found it kind of be a struggle to kind of get that community kind of all together, um, and even, yeah, that was basically what three, four, five days of events, but even afterwards, like. I would still say like you would think that that would be kind of almost a catalyst to strengthening the black community but i don't really see it um again that could just could be from my perspective i'm a bit more reserved um a little bit more private not as social so that could just be my experience uh, maybe i have a different you know um scale of measurement i'm kind of you know more interested in seeing like <clears throat> more of those like tangible progressive type of you know outcomes um for example like with Innis college black student experience you know the tangible outcome was you know hiring two black students to be orientation coordinators for black student orientation tangible results actually having black student orientation tangible results putting up the money for black student orientation so like those are kind of like the things i kind of measure it against now obviously that's not not the only way to measure community of course, there's the community members that actually get the support, um, you know, every day, you know, as, as um, the, the Black Student Engagement Student Life Coordinator Madele would say, he, he found his tribe. Um, so I'm sure there's many uh, Black students who found their tribe, who, you know, go to events or maybe, you know, have Black friends, uh, study together, go out together, talk about different things, support each other. I'm sure there is that there but i do think that there's still more that could be done um in sense of bringing it more mainstream and in sense of um maybe bringing it to every college every department um there's just little pockets right now and i feel like because of you know black students being a small minority not only in canada but also at the university sometimes that those real needs kind of can get pushed aside for these more performative, you know, just let's throw money and, and let's host black student orientation versus like, what is those, you know, small pockets of black students really actually need um, to build community, to find the tribe, to really uh, maximize their potential within this tribe um, and within this community together. So those are kind of the things that I think about um, in terms of like, what would make um, the black community stronger I think I kind of alluded to it a little bit, but I, I don't really have a firm answer. I guess it would just be, again, just less performance and more more tangible, substantive, actual outcomes, I would say. Um, maybe actual research on black students, if you really want to know what they need instead of just acting like you know what they need or just hiring two black students and saying like, yeah, you guys tell us what black students need like we represent the whole black you know community um so i would say just yeah just being a little bit more intentional being a little bit more purposeful um and obviously as a political science student i'm specifically talking about people in power um as i said i think from the student level we we have the the need um and the excitement to take those opportunities but there's a bit of a there's a bit of a social institutional barriers whatever you may want to call it where it's really stopping the maximization of this community building within um you know within and between black community members yeah um i will just say 
I'm not going to say too much, but other than it was not, I've been at UFT for four years now, and it is not until this year that I actually sort of intentionally try to participate in a sort of black community space at the BSC, which is the Black Student Experience Work Group at, at Ennis. Um, and, um, and that's really just sort of to show that for the entire time at U of T, I didn't really feel that there was a space I could have gone. I didn't even know that the BSA even existed. Um, <laughs> you know, um, there were like probably a few events that I saw online that were interesting. Um, you know, I heard like there was uh, yeah, during like last year there was a event at the at Heart House hosted by B, which is I'm standing for like brotherhood something something and it's uh it was really an interesting thing because it was like a documentary that they were watching about black boys in America and that was of course made me cry. But uh, you know, like I had to had been at Heart House to know that this event was happening. Um, you know, I like there wasn't there's when I when I think about the black student experience at UFT, it's very like like everybody's schedule is completely different. Everybody's like their way of viewing UFT is gonna be different. You know, me and Eli don't have different walk of life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um yeah, so it's gonna be very different from how how we like view it so then it also restricts how you might be able to find your community um in that sense um so yeah i don't think there isn't much but if you were to make it improve i really just feel like it's just going to it's kind of hard to come up with suggestions, <laughs> to be honest. But like, I really just feel like, like as Eli said, you gotta be intentional, and it shouldn't um, just be like something that oh, it's Black History Month. Let's do something for Black History, uh, for Black communities and students. No, let's do it year round, please. You know, we we need to be able to participate and find um, our group if we want to participate in that group you know um so yeah i i just think it's something that we just gotta continually think about and do and um you know find ways to make friends and uh connect with other people yeah i just want to add on to that because i just remembered as as you were talking kind of like my own experience and um in like second year i think it was um I was, I think this was the pandemic year, if I remember, the full pandemic year, if I remember correctly. Um, and I joined this group. Now, the way I joined it actually was very much happenstance. Um, yeah, so the way I joined this group was very much happenstance because it was part of, it was like a message sent by the, I think it was the either the um, Association for Political Science Students or the Canadian, Pla Canadian Political Science uh, or Student Society or something like that. Uh, Can Paul. It was one of those two groups. They basically sent an email. I think it was APSS. They sent an email just saying that, you know, they had a student. 
basically who was looking to start this new group. Um, it was called Black Future Lawyers. Um, now this was basically the undergraduate group. Um, so basically the undergraduate um, affiliation for the, the, the main one at the law school. So there's Black Future Lawyers, which is basically central, which is at the law school at U, U of T. And then this student was specifically creating an undergraduate chapter to it as well. And again, it's not like I was out looking for black uh, groups to join. Again, I didn't know about the BSA at that time. I actually didn't find out about them until I joined that group and we were doing some outreach. Um, so yeah, just to add on to your point, if it wasn't for that you know, random happenstance, I never would have basically you know, got that experience to, you know, first of all, build community, but also help other students build community um, within you know, uh, the legal, um, undergraduates uh, or you know people thinking about taking law things of that nature so I found that very interesting um, and then you know going again then my only other real experience uh, was joining the black student experience working group which again was an invitation from you know principal Charlie and then you know seeing the black student orientation coordinator position opening up just uh, last spring or last summer or what, what, whatnot. So I think a big part of it is awareness and maybe like figuring out how the university and, and colleges can better support that kind of dissemination of information of like, you know, where these communities um, are celebrating, where they're holding events, um, maybe put, um, you know, a little bit more money into helping them promote those events, maybe central student life uh, communications could help promote these events. I know there's a lot of politics around that, but if we're really truly thinking about trying to build the community, then you know we need to get over some of these political barriers um, and just kind of you know do it. Uh, the money's there. the The communication channels are there. It's whether you know we can get out of our own way. And if we're again, if this is really about substantive change um, and not just performance then I think the answers are, are pretty obvious. And, you know, I do have a few people that I do know in student life, so maybe I'll have a conversation with them about this because now that I'm thinking about it, this is probably an easy way to use, you know, university resources to help uh, black students build community and not just keep talking about it. Yeah, I think those are very valid, very um, great suggestions. Uh, it sounds like finding community might be the biggest challenge, I guess, for incoming black students because a lot of the resources, you know, they're out there, but you just don't know about them. And I think that's like, I guess, a general trend in U of T. It's not just in Innis, but it just things happen and no one knows about them. <laughs> and yeah, I think that is all for our questions and um before we end it off i think adding on to what you just said i do want to um emphasize that for a lot of our workshops because like, i'm part of a work study i didn't want it to like do a little plug um we do have those event marketing that you can find on our innis life um instagram page they go out each monday as part of our stories so um, there may be workshops, events, resources, and those would be like U of T wide events. So if anyone's interested, you can definitely go check that out. And also BSC, um, a very, I guess, I think, I'm pretty sure they send out newsletters each month. 
Yeah, it seems like I, I, I wasn't consulted about this, but it seems like they're doing some sort of opt-in newsletter, uh, which I found right. really nice. So yes, uh, yeah. and then I'm guessing you'll get certain um, updates through this newsletter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm actually like doing the graphics for. Oh, nice, beautiful. That, so. <laughs> <laughs> I do know about the opt-in, but I think a lot of people still don't know about it. So right. that's why I'm trying to like really plug it, um, since it is opt-in. So you have to find like reach out and do some research of your own. Which that part I feel like we can still work on um because you can't expect the students to do all the work right, right. um but mm -hmm. now since we're at the topic it's out there if anyone's ever interested um do some research research search for it and feel free to join in our mailing list yeah, yeah. i can also plug uh two events i'm personally um well i guess three maybe um um anti-racism i think diversity and cultural office um, they're having a bunch of events. Heart House has a bunch of events. Um, you know, I think it's called Hip Hop Experience or, or something like that. Um, there at Heart House is also having a bunch of events. So I just want to plug a few events out there. There's lots kind of happening, lots of ways to kind of build community and find your tribe or maybe just, you know, learn something new or just maybe celebrate blackness. Yeah, and if I would just also plug just three sayings, really, uh, um, as the podcast producer of the Innis Herald, I just wanted to let you guys know that uh, we are open for podcast submissions. So if you want to be on the podcast as we are right now and just want to share your own works um, from the past issue, you can do so as well. As speaking of issues, the recent Innis Herald issues are out on all the stands. Um, I believe they're at Robarts, Innis, uh, Innis Residence, as well as Sydney Smith and other places. So please grab a copy. It's our special uh, love letter to old Innis issue. So please give us a little bit of love for that. Super wild, super wild issue. I took a skim this morning. I was like, oh, okay, this is edgy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we love being edgy. We love being a bit of showing a bit of the tea and Ennis lore. Um, the cover is oh. like very prominent, very out there. You can't miss it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are. We still putting out a wanted poster for someone who stole all of our Herald <laughs> issues from like last December. We're still looking for you. <laughs> um, You're not but, off the radar. <laughs> But yeah, uh, also uh, not so much in Herald stuff, but if you are interested in learning about black issues, um, wanting to support other black artists and creators, please also try to take a look out for the varsity. They're going to be putting out a special black issue. Um, so don't forget to pick up a copy when it comes out. Okay, great. So... I think that's all the time we have for today and we did not go over time so yay um, and again I just like to thank the both of you for taking your time to doing this podcast and it's been a super engaging and educating experience for me and I'm pretty sure as well as everyone who's listening to the podcast and again this has been a very exciting session and tune in for more information I guess and subscribe to the Innis Herald on both Spotify and YouTube. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Lena. Appreciate it.